What makes Boston great and what can make it greater? <sighs> I want to say the people, but the people suck. Now, that would be something I'd improve. But that's probably because of, you know, common technology and stuff. Nobody likes to talk to each other. But um, what I love about it is it's kind of hard to explain. It's just like, especially at night, when I just look at it, all the lights and stuff, that's what I love. Just the feeling of it. Um, it's kind of similar to New York, but the people there are crappier. Previously, in Greater Boston. Starkey had dampened my enthusiasm for our shared voyage. I thought I had found in him a kindred searcher. We have been looking for Atlantis in the Pacific. We are in the wrong ocean. Return brings good fortune. Return of Leon. Leon's death had been his shock. His memory was Michael's higher truth. One must wonder what malignant impulse motivated Gemma to hire someone in need of such remedial advice. I can only conclude that it is her hope to drive me from the office. Regards. Extinction event, Paletti. Braintree. Right. Peabody. Haverhill. Lowell. All right. Fall River. Cambridge. Quincy. I can't see that one without a river. Uh, Arlington. Arlington. Framingham. Newton. Lynn. Worcester. This is Framingham. Waltham. Quincy. Arlington. Revere. Somerville. Arlington. This is Lemonster. Haverhill. Brookline. Somerville. Cambridge. This is. This is. This is. Greater Boston. This week in Greater Boston, Dimitri exits the submarine in The Wrong Ocean, Michael calls Nika with a special invitation in Gemini Nature, and Extinction Event orchestrates a lunchtime social in The Seance. All that in Episode 8, Message in a Bottle. What's the best message you've ever received? Oh, I got one last night. It was, bro, come over, I have pizza. <laughs> it's half cheese, half bacon. To forgive but to never forget... And I think that's the smartest thing I've ever heard. Uh, smile through it all. I actually got it from a local raptor, rapper. Don't ever doubt yourself either. Just keep your head up in every situation and you'll be perfectly fine. Oh, he's actually from Canada. I didn't oh. mean to stay local. Not that local. <laughs> Not that local. Uh. He's on this planet. When Sam and I were first together, we worked in a restaurant and you've had like these cards, like a manila envelope kind of card or stock paper, and you had to run it through the register and that's how the bill was made. The best phone message, which I think, which we still have saved, was from um, our first granddaughter when she was, I think, between the ages of one and two. And you can hear her mom in the background coaching her. I guess it was the citation that I got from the Massachusetts State House when I completed my internship there with, I was under Representative Gloria Fox. And once I completed, I got a citation saying that I completed it. So I had official document so nobody can claim that I was lying, that I didn't really go there or anything like that. And we would take that paper all the time and write each other notes and staple it so other people couldn't see it and pass each other notes. Going, happy birthday. And so Amy would say, happy. And Sidney would go, happy birthday to you. I would say the best message I've received is someone telling me they're proud of me. I don't really hear it a lot, so when I do hear it, it does mean a lot. So I don't know. There were things like, you know, Hi, Lammy. Are you having a good day or something? I don't know. That was really nice, and I have them in a Whitman sampler box in the attic. You kept them? Oh, yeah. Dear Leon, we found something. We found something. I could hardly believe it. After my conversation with Claude, I was convinced of the futility of the entire enterprise. 
Searching for Atlantis in the Pacific seems so self-evidently wrong-headed. I may not need conclusive answers, but I do need the possibility of them. The sense that the truth lies just beyond reach is the only motivation to keep reaching. Captain Starkey waved off my concerns. The name means nothing, he said. It is no more sensible to seek Atlantis in the Atlantic than it is to seek Indiana in India. It was named in a time when Europeans thought they ruled the whole world and only one ocean separated Palos from Shanghai. They knew Atlantis was to the west, but they couldn't know how far. Indeed, they couldn't. But what made Starkey so sure that finding the city was simply a matter of looking farther west than anyone had ever looked before? He just shrugged. He had to follow his instincts, he said. And his instincts told him that if the city was in the most logical place, then it would have already been found. But Leon, I know how little of the ocean has been seen by human eyes. There is no most logical place. Just one great expanse of darkness that we've only just begun to probe. And the likeliest ocean is no less likely now for humanity's few trepidatious steps into that void. But could I truly say that Starkey was wrong? Is it so foolish to distrust maps drawn at a time when maps were fantastical? A cartography of rumor and guesswork? Do you see my mistake, Leon? Can you puzzle it out? I was viewing the situation as you would view it, as a puzzle to be approached purposefully. Follow the steps from the question to the answer, but the answer was never the point, and I should not have allowed myself to be so distracted by it. It's the search that matters, and the potential for unanticipated discovery. Set out in search of Atlantis, and you'll only be disappointed when Atlantis isn't what you find. But set out in search of mystery, and satisfaction abounds. And so, we found something. We found the body of a whale, or something like it. I put on a diving suit and joined the crew to investigate. The carcass was half-sunken into the ocean floor, much of its flesh eaten away by the myriad creatures such tragedies nourish. It was enormous and unrecognizable as any species I've ever seen. Its mouth glowed in the ocean dark, a thousand phosphorescent corpses lodged in its baleen, and a brighter glow shining through the decayed skin of its flank. Its tail lay too far into the ocean dark to be seen. It had not died naturally. A dozen or more harpoons protruded from the body, lodged between the bones. They were strange things, these harpoons. Irregular, jagged, brightly colored. They were carved from coral and bone. Two men gathered the harpoons to bring aboard the submarine, while the rest of us ventured into the beast. Gaining entry was unsettling, but not difficult. We widened a gap between two ribs, the half-eaten flesh easily falling away at our touch. Four of us went in. As the least experienced diver, I was third, giving two men with experience first look, while a third watched me for signs of distress. But I felt no distress. On the contrary, I felt on the verge of a lifetime's achievement. The whale's interior was lit by a natural, phosphorescent lantern that dangled from the peak of its cavernous gullet. Whales have no uvula, of course, but this glowing organ could have easily passed for one. Two illuminating strands extended back from it, along the roof of the cavern, likely the circulatory vesicles that fed phosphorus into the lantern. We followed those veins back through the abdominal cave. We tried to swim without touching down on the surface, where our feet would punch through the soft meat, releasing clouds of decay into the water around us. It was an unpleasant journey, but the reward at the end of it was extraordinary. We found a device, something made, something technological, roughly the size of a single-seat car. It was enclosed, impossible to see inside, 
Despite its size, it was light enough for us to carry, all four together, so long as we abandoned our hope of keeping our feet clean of the putrescence below. It was too large to squeeze through the ribs, so we had to remove them with a mechanical saw. We brought our loot aboard the submarine. Like the harpoons, it was made mostly of bone and coral, pink-hued and slightly iridescent, but worked into sophisticated forms, hinges and tubes, and even a system of propellers at one end. But how to open it? That, too, was a mystery. Despite much prodding and examination, the thing remained shut tight. It's just as well, said Captain Starkey. The mystery will only raise the value. Collectors are often gamblers at heart. That night, I could hardly sleep for Starkey's words itching at my mind. Here, he had the most amazing thing he would likely ever see in his life, and all he thought of was what price he could affix to it. Sleepless, I threw myself out of bed and stalked down to the bay, to the coral machine. Alone with it, the logic of the controls became clear to me. It was a mechanical puzzle, a thing meant to be solved, not so different from the box as I gifted you and Nika before I left. It took only a few clever twists and turnings in deliberate sequence before it split open, revealing an empty cockpit. There was a bewildering panel of controls at the front and a seat reclined behind it, room enough for only one like a seat in a mercury capsule. I paused only to scrawl this message to you before pressing it upon my compatriot Claude. He too would rather see that thing out of Starkey's hands and has agreed to transmit this letter after I'm gone so that you will know what has become of me. I don't know if or how I'll have means to contact you again. Once I sign this letter, I'll climb into the craft and close the canopy above me. Claude will push me from the submarine into the ocean below. Once there, I will press the button. The one button most different from all the others. A round protrusion festooned with the iridescent image of a prawn. And then we'll see what happens. My love to you, Leon. And Tanika. Dimitri. for Nika Stamatis. Please leave a name and number and I'll get back to you within the hour. If this is a casting agent, you can send an email to nika at nikastamatis.tv. That account will auto-respond with copies of my headshots and theatrical resume, as well as links to my demo reel. If this is a fan, you can see me perform on the second Friday of every month at the Someday Cafe. Additional events will be announced as they are scheduled. Hi, uh, Nika? This is Michael, uh, Leon's friend. I, I just thought I should touch base with you on a few things. It's part of, y you, you know, it's, it's one of the steps, I mean, making amends. I really, uh, I really messed up Leon's funeral. I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I I'm sorry if I embarrassed you. I, I'm sorry if I, uh, sorry if I embarrassed Leon. I'm still at Leon's place. I know I shouldn't be, but... I've kept up with the rent and, and other bills. I've, uh, I've kept Leon's stuff in good order. I, I fixed the leak in the dishwasher. I'd, uh, I'd been meaning to do that. Before, I mean. I, I didn't get around to it when I should have. But, but it's done now. And, uh, uh, I bagged some of his things that should 
probably be donated. You know, clothes mostly. Medications, reading glasses, you know, I haven't gotten rid of anything yet. I, I know that's your call. But it's you know, ready to go if you give the word. I'm, I'm sure you're going to want some things. Uh, mementos. You know, his, his records, maybe. His, um, his books. Now, I've been using the kitchen stuff. You know, his sheets. And the furniture, obviously. There's some mail you're going to want to go through. A, a couple of letters from your brother. Dimitri, I mean. You know. I hope it's okay that I read them. I've been opening the mail to see what's important. What needs to get paid. Who needs to be notified that Leon... About Leon. And, uh... And there were these uh, two letters... You know, Leon never saw them. I, I know he wondered where your brother was, you know, what he was up to. They they don't make a lot of sense. He says he's living on a submarine. I, look, I, I didn't really know Dimitri. I, I met him a few times. You know, he, um, you know, he talked about traveling, you know, seeing the world. I thought he meant, like, France. You know, see the Eiffel Tower. You know, a- anyways, um, those are here if you want them. You can... Um, you can stop by, or I can uh, I can bring them to you, wh- whichever you like. Or um, or you could come by my office. You know, you could maybe I don't know say come by Friday if you want. We're uh, we're having a a thing for Leon. Uh. It's, uh, it's gonna be, uh, well, uh, well, a seance, actually. Uh, yeah, it it wasn't my idea. Uh, My boss wants to do it, and I'm new, so I I don't really have much of a say about it. I don't know how you feel about that kind of thing. I actually don't know how I feel about that kind of thing. But my boss said I could invite you, so that's it, one. If you're interested, I would like it if you came. I'd feel better about the whole thing. I'll I'll bring the letters with me to work so you can get them if you want. Up to you. And, uh... <laughs> oh, hey! I've, uh, I've done a little redecorating in the apartment. I, I hope that's okay. I've, uh, you know, I've got the new job, like I said, and I wanted to put some stuff up on the walls to help inspire me, to help me get into the headspace of my readers... In the kitchen, I I put up an astrological calendar. You know, that's relevant to my work. Uh, The readers are into that kind of stuff. I'm supposed to be learning all sorts of new-agey things. You know, predict the future. You know, it's it's fun, sort of. Helpful. So, uh, I put up the calendar, and I keep track of the astrological bodies and, you know, where they are. I'm supposed to know that kind of thing now. I'm a Gemini, by the way. Geminis are indecisive and changeable. So, you know, that's part of my problem, I guess. It's, uh, it's a thing, you know, to take into consideration. I think I have to, uh, change myself into something less, uh, changeable. Hmm. Now, I suppose it must be in my nature to do that. Or, at least, it's in my nature to try, but give up halfway there. Maybe halfway is enough. It'd be an improvement, at least. You know, it's funny that Leon didn't have a wall calendar since he was so adamant about keeping that kind of organization. 
he was strictly digital with that. Didn't trust a calendar he couldn't take with him. You know, I'm trying to do that too. You know, keep a digital calendar, but I like having one on the wall too. It helps me visualize my obligations in sort of a spatial way. You know, I've never been very good at that, but I'm, I'm trying. Uh, I, I've been looking into how Leon did it, how he, you know, how he organized his life, his higher truth. You know, he still has a lot to teach me. Like cooking, for instance. Leon has a lot of cookbooks, good cookware, and an alphabetized spice rack. You know, his cookbooks all have sticky notes in them to mark the recipes he wanted to make, which I realize isn't a big thing. Everyone does that. But his sticky notes all had dates on them. He didn't just flag things with a vague hope of, you know, someday making them. He scheduled every dish. So, I've been sticking to that schedule. It, you know, it's a time saver, actually. I've always been really bad about making decisions about what to eat. I could spend an entire hour just deciding what I wanted, never mind the time it took to actually prepare it. But now I don't have to worry about that. I just follow Leon's plan. Every now and then, there's a day with no recipe. So, you know, I know that's when he planned to eat out or get delivery. You know, I stick to that, too. It's usually only once a week, so I'm spending a lot less on delivery than I used to. You know, frugality is a good skill, so, you know, I'm working on that, too. Did you know how much he liked beets? Turns out, he really liked beets. They're on the schedule at least twice a week. You know, I, I don't mind beets, really. But damn, that's a lot of beets. Yeah, I, <laughs> I suppose you really don't want to hear about any of that, you know. Why should you care about my frugality? I, I guess I just, I guess I just wanted to make the point that I, uh, that I still feel like Leon is, uh, is talking to me. And, uh, you know, leading me where I need to go. Maybe that's why I don't like the idea of this seance. If Leon is still speaking to me, why press the issue? It's just greedy. Ungrateful. I'm a little twisted up over it, honestly, but, uh, but maybe it'll be different for you. So, uh, so I thought I should invite you. I hope you come. Um, okay. Extinction Event Paletti hadn't intended to get Gemma fired. He'd only just wanted his private office back. And that hadn't happened exactly, but he did get a promotion, and he got Gemma's office, so he'd actually come out ahead of his goals. So that was good. Karmic, even. He thought he should probably feel bad for Gemma, but he just couldn't manage to work up the sympathy. It was kind of a novel experience, actually. Extinction Event had always dedicated himself to cultivating a sense of empathy for all living things, from the lowest flea to the greatest blue whale. And of course, for pandas. But not Gemma, apparently. She was the one exception. The one living thing on all of planet Earth that he just couldn't manage to care about. He decided he was okay with that. On balance, he was well ahead of most people by any metric of decency or fellow feeling, so he felt he could afford a single instance of blackest hatred for a particularly unlikable individual. Gemma was... Well, to put it bluntly, Gemma Linzer Coolidge was a jerk. He was glad she was gone. The first thing that Extinction Event did after settling into his new office was to call in Michael Tate, the new hire, Gemma's last hire, to get a sense of him. 
well, to get more of a sense of him. His first impression hadn't been favorable. In the weeks they'd shared a space, he'd learned that Michael was a carnivore and an inconsistent recycler, and he didn't know anything at all about prognostication. But in the time since Gemma had left, an extinction event had settled into his own office, he had realized that his initial reaction to Michael had been uncharitable, too strongly influenced by his association of Michael with Gemma's own transgressions. But it was unfair to blame Michael for Gemma's childish behavior. Something would have to be done to reset that relationship, to allow Extinction Event and Michael to find some point of synergy on which to build their future association. And so Extinction Event decided to throw a seance. Michael had lost a friend recently, a roommate, who had actually been meant to have the job Michael now occupied. That meant this guy would have a connection not just to Michael, but to Third Sight as well. It was a perfect scenario for contacting the other side, and an excellent activity for a Friday lunchtime community-building event in the office. Plus, helping Michael chat with his friend was a surefire way to deepen Michael's understanding of what Third Sight was all about, and foster that personal connection. Uh, oh, uh, okay, I guess so. Michael seemed uncertain about the idea, but that was fine. Everyone did it first. When Friday came, Extinction Event was pleased to see that Michael had brought a guest. A woman named Nika, the deceased man's sister, apparently. She arrived at the office looking lost, and still looked lost even after Tyrell showed her the way to Michael's office, where she sat reading letters from another sibling, a, a traveling brother, while she waited for the seance to start. Michael looked a little green, actually. A little unsteady. I, I don't feel right. Probably just excited to talk to his friend again. Extinction Event set the conference room up himself, not wanting to insult his subordinates by delegating menial tasks as Gemma had always done. Besides, it always ended up being his job anyway, so why not just keep doing it? He arranged the candles and the incense, along with the catered sandwiches, salad, and coffee. He placed an extra vegan club sandwich with soy cheese and sliced tofurkey at the center of the table as an offering to the spirit being summoned. He was confident that across the threshold, everyone was vegan. Once everything was set, Extinction Event used the intercom to call everyone into the conference room, seating himself at one end of the table and Michael and Nika at the other. Extinction Event himself would serve as medium, of course. With everyone present, he began the seance. Okay, everyone, please join hands. Before we eat? Yes, Tyrell, we're holding the seance first. I'm sure you can wait another 20 minutes for lunch. We have a guest. We don't want to keep her waiting. Okay, now join hands. Tyrell, put the fork down. It's just a crouton. I don't care if it's just a crouton. It's distracting. Do you think visiting spirits want to sit around waiting for you to finish crunching on a crouton? Thank you. Again, everyone, please take the hands of the people to either side of you. Once we begin, it is important that we do not break the circle, as that will end our connection with the other side. Oh, Tyrell, could you hit the lights? Why don't you get it? Because I'm trying to prime my aura for spirit communion. But you're closer. But I need to do the thing. Would you please just take care of it? Just squeeze through. I'm sure you can fit. Okay. Thank you. Finally. Okay. Anyway... We are gathered here today in this place at this time to invite the spirit of Leon Stamatis to commune with us. Leon, you were meant to be among us here at Third Sight Media, and so we welcome you in death as we would have welcomed you in life. 
Please, join us. Your sister, Nika, has come to the office for just this occasion in the hope of speaking with you. Nika, please welcome your brother. Um, hey, Leon. And Leon, we have another person special to you with us today as well. Your friend is here. Michael, please say hello to Leon. Michael, where are you going? I'm going to be sick again. Again? Yeah, uh, just puked a few minutes ago. I think he's really nervous about this, about talking to Leon this way. Should we wait for him to come back? I'd really rather just get this over with, if that's okay. I mean, I appreciate that you invited me and everything, but really, this is kind of fucked up. Oh, uh, okay? I'll just work on calling up Leon then. Leon, are you with us, Leon? You should know that Nika doesn't mean to be unwelcoming. She loves you, but she's not convinced that this will work and worries that we might be offending you. But she'll be glad when she hears from you. Leon, are you there? Are you in this room? Do you have something you'd like to say to us? Leon, we'd really like to hear from you. Please feel free to occupy my body and speak through my mouth. Or just knock on the table. Once for yes, two for no, that sort of thing. Does that sound good? Remember, once for yes, twice for no. Nothing? Okay, is there something else you'd like us to try? Psychography, maybe? I've got a pen and paper here. Thank you for trying. Oh, we're not done. We'll just give it a little longer. Sometimes it takes some time. No, no, that's plenty. Thank, thank you. I really feel he has something to say. Not today, apparently. What was that? Oh, that's our message-in-a-bottle system. Pneumatic tubes. Really? Much more tactile than email. Tyrell, could you grab that? Thank you. I guess the folks upstairs have some instructions. Sometimes they like to offer input on how we perform our rituals. They've been doing this a long time, naturally. There's a note. Danahy. What? That's it. Just Danahy. Just one word. Oh, wait. There's more on the other side. Let's see. Saturday, January 10th, 1996, 12 to 12.45 p.m. Post blizzard, blizzard, as predicted by Old Farmer's Almanac. School still closed. Supervise outing to local play facilities. Exercise, Exercise caution. caution. Conditions hazardous. Oh. Well, I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. I get it. Oh, excellent. So what does it... I, I have to go. Oh. Okay. Well, bye then. Thank you for coming. Tyrell, could you get the lights? Why me again? Because I have to focus on expunging the spirits from my aura. If you don't do it right away, they settle in, and then it's that much harder to clean them out. Thank you, Tyrell. And you've got cleanup handled here, right? Okay, we haven't even eaten. Don't just throw out the paper plates. You can wash them. Just use a damp paper towel. Fine. There you go. That's much better. Greater Boston is written and produced by Alexander Danner and Jeff Van Driesen with recording and technical assistance from Mark Harmon. We've started writing season two and we're eager to get to work on production, but we need your help. You can support Greater Boston by contributing as little as $1 per episode to our Patreon campaign. You can also help the show by telling your friends about us or by rating us on iTunes. In order of appearance, this episode featured James Johnston as Dimitri Stamatis, Kelly McCabe as Nika Stamatis, 
James Oliva as Michael Tate, Alexander Danner as the narrator, James Kepabianco as Extinction Event Paletti, Arun Sanuti as Tyrell Fredericks, and Braden Lamb as Leon Stamatis. Interviews recorded with Greater Boston Residents. Charlie on the MTA is performed by Emily Peterson and Dirk Tiedi. Circus music performed by Adrian Howard, Emily Peterson, and Dirk Tiedi. Drum tracks by Jim Johansson. Some sound effects and music used from public domain and Creative Commons sources. Episode transcripts will be posted online at greaterbostonshow.com. Greater Boston is written in part at the Writers' Room of Boston, a nonprofit workspace for Boston-area writers. Find out more at writersroomofboston.org. I don't mind beats, really. But, damn, that's a lot of beats. 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 <laughs> uh, uh, um, okay. Bye. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In the year 1889, there was nowhere in the world more exciting than London, England. Three cheers for Inspector Lestrade and the bad boys of Baker Street themselves, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson! Sold! By Sherlock Bloody Holmes of 221 B Baker Street. Well, with any luck, we'll get a new brutal murder any day now. God, I wish. It's truly shocking you haven't solved anything in five years. The boys are both out of town for some case about a dog in Dartmoor this weekend. Sincerely, Martha Hudson. London's number two detective team just became number one. Fox and Stallion. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at 224BBaker or on our website, 224BBaker.com. It's like they say, big breaks are 90% luck. What's the other 10%? Luck.